Hey guys, my name's Jason, and um, like Matt said, I'm a church planning resident here, but uh, I'm kind of holding two titles right now. I am church planning resident at Council Bluffs and co-pastor of City Light Kansas City. So we're pretty excited about that, um, and I just want to say we love this church. We love this church as the Wilsons. We uh, came here about a year ago. Uh, we'd have been in ministry for a couple years. I was a senior pastor, and we arrived here a little beaten up little sore, little wounded, and uh, you guys loved us well. Uh, from the moment we arrived here, we felt loved and welcomed. Uh, you guys bathed us in encouragement and prayer. Uh, we've shed some happy tears because of this church. And so we are forever grateful to you guys. Uh, you guys have been a tremendous blessing. I cannot emphasize that enough about how good you guys have been to us. And so now we're kind of moving into this new season where we're a little bit in Council Bluffs, and we're a little bit in Kansas City. And so uh, one of the things you guys can be doing for us is be praying for a gathering location. That's a common question. People say, so City Light, Kansas City, where are you guys meeting? And we said, we don't have a, a place yet. So that's something you guys can, can be praying for us about is a place to gather. Uh, also, be praying that Jesus continues to raise up a core team. Uh, we had a prayer interest meeting. We had about 35 people there. We've got one city group going now, and we're already kind of busting at the seams. So uh, me and Eric are, and Matt are talking about where are we going to multiply out, where are we going next. And so you can continue to pray for that, that Jesus would raise up a core team of people who love him and want to see him made much of in the city of Kansas City. So we'll be meeting from about October to December for our core team. Uh, and we want to continue to be a part of what Jesus is doing in the City Light family. Uh, we want to see churches multiplied and disciples made, right? We want to continue to be people uh, who make much of Jesus and walk in step with the Spirit. We want to continue to be that. And I, I think Eric talked a little bit about that last week, about keeping in step with the Spirit in Galatians 5. Well, this week, we're going to be in chapter 6, and uh, Paul is going to move from sort of these theological teaching to more practical wisdom of what does it look like to be a community of believers. Um, Paul is going to be addressing what it looks like to be Jesus-centered, spirit-empowered, uh, a biblical community. What it looks like for us as followers of Jesus to be his body. Right? So there's certainly a, a beauty in what Paul does at the end of chapter 5. He says this, he says, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And then Paul says that as believers, we have to guard against sort of this default mode of uh, thinking too much of ourselves or thinking too little of ourselves. So for me, I went to Bible college, and in my years at Bible college, I became pretty arrogant. And so as a guy who had like two years of Bible college under my belt, I really thought I could fix all the church's problems that A hadn't got right for 2,000 years. Have no fear, Jason is here. I'll take care of it. Uh, and what happened was, is I became arrogant in that. I became cynical towards the church. And it wasn't long before I ended up dropping out of church completely, walking away from my faith, and having really no vibrancy, no life in my Christian walk at all. And so years later, I ended up coming back uh, into the church. I began to, began to follow Jesus again. And now I wrestled with another issue, and that was... All the things I had done, would I ever measure up? Had I failed too much? Uh, were, were those decisions I made, you know, dropping out of Bible college, partying like I did, was that going to haunt me forever? 
right? And so I felt like the church, the people I thought before that I was better than, now I struggled feeling like I was less than them, and I didn't quite measure up. And what Paul is doing is he's trying to place us somewhere in this community of believers. So when it comes to the church, we all stand somewhere in relation to the rest of us, to the rest of the body. And Paul is going to caution us to not put ourselves above or below when it comes to the community of believers, the church. Paul says there is another way, right? We don't have to go to that default of feeling like we're better than or less than. And he describes that way as for those who are spiritual. Now, who is that when he says those who are spiritual? The spiritual ones are the ones who are walking in step with the Spirit. Those who are keeping in step with the Spirit, like Eric talked about last week. The spiritual ones are the ones that understand Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And when we get this, we begin to realize our life together, right? Uh, And rather than going into our default mode of thinking we're better than or less than, we begin to come alongside each other. Um, And we begin to keep in step with the Spirit and care for others by restoring them with a gentle spirit. And he will call us to stand beside believers, uh, with them in the community, not above, not below, but beside them. And he will also call us to carry our own load. So how do we place ourselves above or below? Galatians 5.26 says this, let's not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So for a long time, I thought Paul was saying three separate things there. I thought he was saying, don't be conceited, don't provoke people, and don't envy people. But as I continue to dig and do research on this text, I think Paul is saying something a little different than that. Uh, I think what Paul is saying is people will be conceited, there will be a pride they have, and that pride or that conceit they will have is false. It's empty. It's not real. And what will happen is, is because of that identity they have, they will either provoke people and kind of challenge them, or they will be envious of, envious of them and jealous of them, right? So people will place themselves by default into one of these two positions in the community. And people who think they're, uh, they think they're based on their comparison to other people, so that's where they get their value. It's based in that comparison. It's not based on who they are. It's based on who they're not, right? That's not a good place to get identity. It's not based on who they are. It's based on who they're not. And so the arrogant, prideful person, they feel better than other people uh, because they put themselves above them. And what will happen is, according to Paul, they will provoke. You could say challenge them, and they'll actually feel good about that. So this person provokes They challenge someone to a contest, and their identity is based on this comparison that they have all the time. And they make sure they compete in games they know they will win, right? If they know they're going to win, they want to challenge you in that, right? So it'll be their giving, maybe their church attendance, their spiritual disciplines, their wealth, their family, and they will provoke or challenge people who aren't like them. And they will have this need to prove how much better they are. And they'll elevate themselves above other believers. And in their minds, they'll ask questions or they'll say statements like, your life is tough right now because you don't live like I do. Right? If you live like I did, you wouldn't be going through all these troubles. Or when they see people act a certain way, they kind of look down on them because it's not how they would act. But then we have the other side of the coin, right? The people who don't feel like they're as good as others in the community. 
they will feel bad about themselves and they will be envious, you could say jealous of other people, and they will actually place themselves below others in the church community. So this is a person who is envying or they're jealous, they want to gain value and worth based on approval of others. Uh, These people are prone to resentment and bitterness, maybe cowering, low self-worth, and they will see everybody else as better than them. And they will place themselves below the good people. And their conceit or their pride actually uh, doesn't come from their accomplishments or their giftings, but their conceit or pride comes from their sufferings and their disadvantages and their woe is me speech, right? You guys have known the woe is me person, right? That's a pride they feel, not on how great they are, but actually on what they've endured and suffered compared to everyone else. And both of those self-evaluations are empty, they're false, they're not true, right? They aren't true assessments because the conceit, the pride is based on a comparison. And what Paul is telling us is that arrogance on the one hand, right, and self-pity, woe is me, on the other are both forms of pride and they're both empty. It's not real. It's not a real self-evaluation. And Paul is saying if we want to experience true biblical community, we need to see ourselves for who we are, right, in relation to the rest of the, of the church community. We're not better than them. We're not less than them. Uh, we're not better off. They're not worse off. We aren't above them. We're not below them. But the church is this place of diverse people with different talents, gifts, backgrounds, histories, who are all equally valued and have equal worth based on the fact that they're image bearers of God and he's filled them with their spirit, right? It's a level playing field. So where do you think you are in relation to the rest of the community? Do do you place yourself above or below? Where do you place yourself in that? And how you answer that question will determine how you treat other people, how you treat other believers, right? Your self-assessment, that question Uh, We'll determine how you think and interact with other people in the church. And Paul is calling us not to place ourselves above or below, but beside fellow brothers and sisters. And the reason we do this, the reason why we want to come alongside them is twofold. It's to restore them and it's to support them. Uh, So in Galatians 6, 1 through 2, Paul says this, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So first Paul tells us, guys, don't be conceited. Um, Don't focus on how you measure up against other people to get your worth, right? Don't put yourself as superior and above them or inferior below them, right? Don't do that. And the reason is because you've got work to do. You've you got a calling to come alongside someone, right? Uh, when someone's caught in a sin, those of you who are spiritual should gently restore him or her. But be careful that you're not tempted and sin yourselves. And, he says, carry each other's burdens, and by doing this, you will fulfill the law of Christ. So first, and here, here's why it's important to get a proper self-assessment of where you feel you land in the community, above or below. Um, Because if we think we're better than someone else and we try to restore them, it won't be gentle, right? It'll be full of I told you so's and self-righteousness and people will smell that on you a mile away, 
right? You'll just reek of that. It won't be restoring. It won't be corrective. It'll be condemning, right? And people will crush under that. But on the other side of that, if we're envying and we feel like we're less than them, we won't be able to restore them either, right? Because we'll completely minimize their sins so much because we want their approval so badly that we'll never be bold enough to walk alongside them and say, hey, let me help you out here, right? Or because we feel like they're better than us, inside of our hearts, we'll have a little bit of a party because the people we think are better than us are finally getting their just due and they're getting knocked down a notch, right? If we feel like we're less than them, right? And so in my own story, I've experienced both of those. Uh, I've seen people try to restore me in a spirit of gentleness and a spirit of what I would call not so gentle. Um, after Bible college, uh, I did a few years in Bible college and, and eventually dropped out of Bible college and uh, partied quite a bit. And I had a friend of mine. We didn't grow up in the same church, uh, but we were both church kids. So we both had a pretty common theology. Uh, we came from similar biblical, you know, Christian traditions. And so uh, we sinned a lot together, put it that way. All right, we did a lot of sinning together, and he eventually went back to following Jesus a little bit before me. Not not that much more before me, I would say, but before me, no doubt. And I remember I ran into him somewhere. It was a grocery store parking lot. I was going in. He was coming out. He was like, "Jason, so good to see you. I'm following Jesus now." And I was like, "Well, I'm happy for you, buddy. You know." And he was like, uh, "Jason, I think it's time." for you to make a decision to follow Jesus and quit wasting your life and disappointing me so much. And I was like, dude, like two weeks ago, I saw you do like a keg stand and beer came out your nose. Like, I don't, I don't need you telling me this two weeks later. Get a little bit of traction and come back to me. Um, and I was not even that gentle. I, I probably had a, my sinful nature came out a lot in that parking lot. Uh, it did not go well for us. And so our relationship was strained a bit. Uh, but him and I are good friends now, and I love that guy. Uh, but I had another friend of mine named Mike. Very similar story. Uh, but Mike and I actually grew up in the same church together. So uh, I knew his family real well. His family knew my family real well. Uh, and we ended up sinning a lot too. And Mike ended up becoming a follower of Jesus again way before me. You're seeing a pattern here. I was the last one. Um, right, but so he, he became a Christian way before me again. And he loved me well. Uh, Mike loved me well. We would sit down. He'd ask how my life was going. I would share struggles I had. And Mike was very skillful in ending up landing on Jesus every time. And when I would talk to Mike, I would miss Jesus. I don't know if you guys have experienced that. Uh, but I missed Jesus. And Mike's gentle, sweet spirit made me want to follow Jesus again. Right? He was so good to me. And I think... Part of the reason why I'm a believer now and I'm following Jesus is because of Mike and other men who were gentle with me and loved me well. Um, I was a Bible college guy, right? I knew theology well, so it wasn't like someone gave me an argument I had never heard before. It wasn't knowledge and information that brought me back into the fold of Jesus, right? It was a buddy of mine who loved me well, who was gentle with me, right? Um, but Mike was also very cautious with me. I knew how Mike ticked, and um, I had a bad reputation for trying to get people to do stuff they didn't want to do, and so Mike knew that, and so Mike was a little guarded somewhat in how much interaction we had. He was protecting his own soul from me as he loved me well. 
Uh, and Paul says that when it comes to restoring a brother or sister, that we need to watch out. Right? There's this, hey, restore your brother and sister, but be on guard. Be on guard. Uh, I knew this, the district I came from, there was a story of a, a guy that was church planning there in a small town. And he had history there. So there was a bar where all his high school buddies went to. Uh, and they would get drunk all the time. And some of those guys were ex-church friends. And so he decided to hang out at that bar all week. That was kind of where he officed uh, as a church planner. And it wasn't long before uh, that pastor was getting drunk almost every day at that bar. That church ended up kind of stalling out. Uh, a new guy came in to help plant that church. But this guy's vision and dream and passion for church planning and seeing lost people come to know Jesus uh, got squashed because in his attempt to restore, he didn't guard his own heart. And so, for instance, if you're, say you're a recovering alcoholic and you have a friend that's going astray and they're at the bar all the time and it's a bar you used to go to and you know what they have on tap, it's probably not the best place for you to go to restore them. Just, that's a little advice just for me. Um, don't do that because you could fall into temptation. But it's, that's the easy one. I think we get that one. But it's, but it's the religious people that have to watch out. Um, for those of us who are on the lookout for other people's sins way more than our own, we need to be careful that we don't fall into temptation as well. Because religion and kind of a religious spirit can be just as powerful and feel just as good as a strong, strong drink. Right? we got to guard our hearts on this. So when it comes to restoring someone, it has to be full of gentleness and I would say it has to be full of self-reflection, prayer. Jesus, what's my motive here? Lead me, guide me. We're not out like headhunting and trying to knock people down because we think they're messing up. But we got to protect ourselves. And we want to restore because we love him because we're being led by the Spirit. And so we restore gently and we stand beside each other in community by keeping watch on ourselves. And the other way we stand beside each other, according to Paul, is that we fulfill the law of Christ. Now, if you've been here over the past few weeks in the Galatians series, you know Paul for like all spring and up to summer, or yeah, and up to summer has been critiquing the law every week. It's not the law, it's not the law, it's not the law. And then he says, fulfill the law of Christ. This would have jumped off the page for the Galatians. They would have seen that and said, you've been talking about the law all this time, and now you're saying to fulfill the law of Christ? What's that about? What does it mean when he says, Fulfill the law of Christ. And I would say in Matthew 22, Jesus is asked this question. What's the greatest commandment? What's the greatest law? And my paraphrase is, Jesus replies, love God and love people with all you got. With everything in you. Love God, love people. And as a church, we want to be people that love God. We preach Jesus every week. Right? We sing about his greatness and his goodness and his majesty all the time. We want people to leave here and say, wow, at City Light, they talk about Jesus a whole lot. Yes. Yes, you're getting the idea. We want to talk about Jesus a lot. But we also want to be a group of people that love each other well. We want to do that well. We want to make Jesus look good on a Sunday morning gathering. And we want to make Jesus look good and our city groups as they're scattered throughout the week and throughout the city. So when we come together, right, we want, we want to be a church that stands beside each other and helps each other carry burdens. We want to help people carry a weight 
that they should not have to carry alone and fulfill the law of Christ by doing that. So let me give you some examples of this uh, just in my short time here. Uh, one is the Penningtons when they lost their house in a fire. That is an emotional thing. It's not just stuff, right? That's an emotional thing that happens. Uh, and it's just a roller coaster of extreme loss and then gratefulness to be alive, right? Uh, and some of you guys rallied around them and loved them well, right? You donated all kinds of stuff to them. Some of you set up, somebody set up a GoFundMe page that I think is like at $30,000 last I heard, right? Some of you brought meals, gave hugs, shed tears, and when there was nothing else to do or say, you just sat with them and were with them, right? You brought your arms around them and helped lift them up. You didn't look down on them in arrogance, and you didn't look up at them from your own place of self-pity, but you helped them carry a burden, right? That's what we do. All right, uh, the Grand Park City Group. Uh, someone in that city group uh, had some vehicle issues. If they had the parts, they could fix it. So that person had been through a lot lately. That city group came alongside them, bought the parts, got it to them. The guy fixed his car, and he's able to drive again, right? That city group said, you can't buy it, we'll buy it. We'll come around you, lift you up, right? A math teacher in one city group helped tutor guy uh, in his group to help prepare him for a test at work. All right, so that teacher took time out of his schedule, came alongside his friend, and tutored him. One guy had a burden, a weight of knowledge he did not have. The other guy had that, came alongside. They locked arms, and they carried that together. Right? Abby and Yarden recently had a yard sale uh, to raise money for adoption. You guys went and bought stuff you didn't want and didn't need and paid a lot for it, Right? To help them adopt a baby, to help add to their family. And so now there's an orphan who's going to have a mom and a dad just because you were obedient and you helped them. On Friday was Teresa Benson's funeral, right? And it was held here. And she was known for making cupcakes. A lot of you made cupcakes in honor of her. You brought them to the funeral, fed her friends, fed her family, and you came alongside the grieving and the hurting, and you honored Teresa, and you honored her family. That's bearing a burden, right? Uh, Kyle and Taylor Gill, right? They're, they were preparing to sell their house, to getting it ready. They have young kids. So their city group said, we're coming over. We'll help do a bunch of projects around the house, and we'll paint your house so you can sell it, right? That city group said, don't carry that burden alone. We're going to help you carry that. And they came together and did that. And you said, why do we promote city groups so much? You just heard why. Right? Because we want to be more than just a bunch of people that get together on a Sunday. We want to be part of a family. Right? We're a family here. A family that restores each other in a spirit of gentleness and humility. And when we start to stray away, we lovingly pull each other back. We want to be a family that cares for each other's needs and bears each other's burdens. And I've been asked before, well, isn't a city group just a small group? I say, no, it's not. City groups are intended to be so much more than that. It's a chance to come alongside each other and love each other the best way that we know how and make much of Jesus in practical ways. And sometimes that looks like sweat, time, and money. But we want to love them and we want to love Jesus. So Paul is calling us to stand beside other believers in community, not to look down on them in arrogance, not to look up to them from a place of self-pity and shame, because when we're beside each other, we're so much greater than being alone, right? 
Think of just those stories we told, how much we can lift and carry together. But you will have to stand alone in some things. We're called to stand beside each other when we can, but Galatians tells us there will come a day when we won't be able to share everything. We will have to bear our own load. Uh, Verses 3 and 5 says this, For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. So Paul is coming full circle now. He's returning to the belief that some people don't help carry the burdens of the community because they feel like they're better than them. They feel like they're above that. Right? And Paul is saying that's because of their own pride that they think they're above that. And Paul is saying you think you're something when you're really, you're nothing. Your pride has tricked you. It's pulled the wool over your eyes. It's deceived you. That's pretty strong words from Paul. But it does have this echo of John 15, 5 when Jesus says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. So maybe if we're not doing anything, it's because we're not abiding in Jesus. Paul continues and says that if you want to compare yourselves to somebody, compare yourself to you, right? You can't stand above or below. You can't stand beside someone else. There will be some burdens, some works, some responsibilities that only you can carry. And verse 5 is not contradicting verse 2. Bearing your own load is not the same thing as bearing others' burdens. A burden in verse 2 means like a weight, um, a heavy load that someone really would have difficulty lifting themselves. Verse 5 means a man's pack, like like a backpack, right? So there are certain situations in life uh, where we must stand alone. We must do it ourselves. We really can't receive help on that because we, we just need to do it ourselves. So, for example, if you have a friend, let's say they're in your city group, And they're saying, hey, I need you to help me out. Um, I stay up almost every night binge-watching Netflix. So I need you to call me in the morning and give me a wake-up call. right? Because I just have trouble getting up. And if I don't answer the phone, I need you to come by my house and knock on the door because I sleep real hard. right? If they say that to you, you can say, Paul says you need to carry your own load. right? You're a big boy. Put your big boy pants on. Go to bed at a decent time. Get up on your own. Right? Or if someone begins to spend their entire check on fireworks every week, right? And they say, hi, I need your help. Um, all my money is tied up in uh, black cats, bottle rockets, and Roman candles. And so I'm having trouble paying my rent, and I can barely put gas in my car. So I need you to help me carry this burden, which is code for give me all your money so you can help me out. Right? You can say to them, you need financial peace. And... You need to manage your own money. You need to stop spending money like that. You need to bear your own load. Um, But a little more serious note, Council Bluffs is planting two churches right now, which is phenomenal. Way to go, you guys. Two churches, and they're not even two years old yet. So Kansas City and Emerson. And maybe the burden or the load that God is placing on you is to help with those plants. Are you being called to be a part of the core team of one of those places? Um, I know Kansas City is a far drive. Emerson ain't as far, right? Is he calling you to be a part of that? Um, Are there people that you need to invite and say, hey, let me tell you what God's doing with some city-like plants? Are you bearing your part of the load? 
Because uh, one day we won't be able to say, hey, God, I did good works you prepared for me because I went to a church that planted churches. Paul is saying that you, you are the church. You have good works to do. Are you doing them? Are you bearing your own, your own load as Jesus has called us in his mission to multiply disciples and churches? Right? Are you inviting? Are you investing? And ultimately, we will stand before God alone. Alone. Um, and give an account of what he asked us to do. Not what he asked your spouse to do or your pastor or people in your city group, but you and you alone. And we want to take that responsibility seriously. When we, when we make that stand, we want to hear God say, well done, well done. But here's the good news, is that we're not accepted by God based on how well we carry our own load. We're accepted by God based on how well Jesus carried it, how well Jesus carried it. Jesus was above us. And if anyone had a right to feel superior to the people of God, it was Jesus. And yet in his humility and in his grace, he takes on humanity so that we can be free from finding our value in games of comparison and find our worth in him. Right? That's good news. Jesus knew our transgressions. He knew our sins. And he restores us with a spirit of gentleness back to the Father. And in his attempt at restoring us, he was tempted just like us, but never wavered, never faltered. And he does this so that he can help, restore, he can help us restore struggling, wayward brothers and sisters in a spirit of gentleness because that's what Jesus did for us. Right? It's his kindness and his mercy that led us to repentance. And Jesus carried our burdens. When we read of Jesus carrying a cross through the streets, it's a picture of him carrying our burden of sin. A burden so heavy, so massive, that we could never carry it ourselves. And when we get to come up beside a fellow brother or sister in Christ and help them carry that, we get to be a picture of what Jesus did for us. That's good news. And Jesus also had to stand alone. There were some things that Jesus had to do on his own. He also had a backpack. He had to carry that by himself. And that burden, that load was the weight of the sin of the world, and no one could help Jesus carry that. He had to do that alone. So Jesus is the picture, and Jesus is the power of what we're called to do in Galatians 6. He's a picture of, he did everything we're called to do, right? How do we walk beside each other? Look at what Jesus did. How are we called to restore in gentleness? Look at what Jesus did. How are we to help each other bear those burdens? Look at what Jesus did. He is the picture. But Jesus isn't just the picture. He's not just the good example. And thank God for that. Because um, I've seen pictures of people wrestling alligators, and if I tried that, it would not go well. Right? That would be a disaster. We need more than a picture. We need power. We need power to do what Galatians 6 is calling us to do. And Jesus is the power to do that. We have the spirit of Jesus living in us. That same power that compelled Jesus to stand beside the poor and the broken. The same power that enabled Jesus to look down from the cross, not in arrogance or pride of men who just tortured him and gently say, Father, forgive them. The same power that rose Jesus from the grave as he conquered the sin that tempts and burdens us. That same power lives in us who believe in him. 
That is good news. And so, Selah, as we get ready to pray, uh, this is not a call to action to uh, try harder, say, oh, man, I haven't signed up for a city group. I need to do that. That's, we'd love for you to do that, but that's not what this call is. This is a call to trust him for power, to live, as ex- to, to live in community together and bear each other's burdens and walk beside each other. And we can't do that in our own strength because we will eventually become arrogant or despondent. We need his spirit to stay in that sweet spot of being right beside each other. Amen? Uh, join me in prayer. Jesus, I thank you so much for the gift of yourself. That you're asking us to do something that you did yourself. And you're asking us to not be arrogant and think too much of ourselves. And you're asking us not to be despondent and wallow in self-pity and woe is me. But to walk beside brothers and sisters that uh, you've given to us as a gift. Because as we help them carry burdens, they help us carry burdens. As they help us keep from straying to the right or the left, they help us. Stay on the straight and narrow as well. That we are brothers and sisters that you've given us a savior to believe in and a family to belong to. I pray for those of us who are believers this morning. um, I would ask that as you're sitting there praying that you would ask Jesus to empower you with his spirit. Live on mission in community. That when you help carry burdens of Fellow brothers and sisters, it's not just them you're helping, but you're, you're treating them as if they are Christ himself. That you would treat them as if Jesus was in your very presence. For those of us who are not followers of Jesus, I say you would do business with Jesus this morning. Maybe you feel hopeless and burdened. And the source of our strength and power is in him. So I would ask that you would make that right with him this morning as you have this opportunity to pray. So Jesus, I ask that we would make much of you and that we would love each other well with all we got. I ask this in your name, amen.